Welcome to Sideline Sanity with Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in silver and gold. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Up next, Bob Costas. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Welcome to the first episode of Sideline Sanity. I am Michelle Tafoya. I want to talk with people with whom I agree and disagree. That's what this is all about, civil conversation. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say the name Bob Costas? For me, it's got to be the Olympic Games. He only hosted 12 of them, I think. I'll double check that with him, but um, that's it. The NBA on NBC, Michael Jordan, that pops into my mind. And of course, Major League Baseball, which I have come to love in, in, in some small part, thanks to Bob. But I've also had the privilege of getting to know Bob as we work together on the NFL on NBC. Uh, he did football night in America. I did Sunday night football. Sometimes those intersected the pregame and the, and the actual game. Uh, so welcome to one of the greatest broadcasters in the history of television. And no, that is not hyperbole. Bob, I'm so grateful you're here. How are you? Hi, Michelle. How you doing? I'm in the leadoff spot here, so I've got you to set are. the table, if we go with a baseball metaphor, for all the tremendous guests you're going to have to follow, <laughs> part of the order that follows. But if I swing and miss here, then we start out on your next one. There's one out and nobody on base. So I have a big responsibility here. You do. And batting cleanup on Thursday or yeah, Thursday will be Tony Dungy. So he'll have Ooh. you to blame if he's got nothing to swing for. And I'll, I'll let him know that. But Correct. Bob, you've done so much television. I mean, so much. Um, mm-hmm. What are you most proud of? You're never necessarily the best judge of yourself, but I would think that my career over time has had texture to it. A lot of different boxes have been checked, not just in terms of the assignments themselves, but I hope in terms of the way I approach those assignments. So I hope that there's an element of journalism. I hope that there's an element of history. Um, An example I've used before is that over time, you can't do it in any one broadcast or it's rare to do it. But over time, I would hope that my career has been like a good edition of Sports Illustrated. It has some topicality. It has some celebration of the excitement, the drama, the shared experience and the people involved. It has some journalism. It has some commentary but it also has some humor to it. You want that texture. If you're always hitting one or only a couple of notes, even if you do it very well, then I think something is missing. If there's a canvas there, and if in the end you step back and that canvas has broad strokes, but also some little shadings in it, then that's what I was aiming for. Well, okay. So little shadings, maybe we'll start there. Cause you, you know, you've delivered countless uh, for back of, lack of a better term, we'll call them essays, whether it's been mm-hmm. during halftime of a, of a game, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes they're topical. Sometimes they're celebrating the people or, or the place that we are. Sometimes they're sadly obituaries. 
Yeah. Uh, when you sat down to write any one of those, what was your first objective, your first goal in composing those? Well, one of the things you have to take into account is how much time do I have? These days on HBO, the closing commentary on the show can be anywhere from five to six minutes. It's never been less than three. Um, but there was never one at halftime of Sunday Night Football that was any longer than two or maybe 2.15. Um, so you have to consider the audience. You have to consider what the topic is. And then how much time do you have? Uh, here on a podcast, you're much more open-ended than if I were a guest of yours on the Today Show, let's say. We'd have to get to all of it just in the time that we've spent setting this up uh, yeah. by my little countdown in the corner. We're approaching four minutes. That might be an entire segment. <laughs> On the Today Show. So you're taking all of that into account. But then also, it's what is what is the subject? Um, if someone were to ask me, and again, I don't think it changed the course of Western civilization. But if someone to ask, were to ask me, what do I do when it comes to essays? I'd say Google my appreciation of Muhammad Ali the morning after he died. Uh, I was doing a, a baseball game for the MLB Network in St. Louis. And Sam Flood, uh, the executive producer at NBC, called me and said, you know, Muhammad Ali has died, found out about it in the middle of the game. We need you here to do something that we can put on between periods of a Stanley Cup finals game later that day. So I hopped on a 6 a.m. flight, and you know how I hate to get up that early. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not functional until noon. But I, I hopped on the flight. Uh, and I wrote something, you know how old school I am, I don't have the technology, so I'm taking a pen and writing it on the back of a boarding pass, and then I went in and, and delivered it, and I guess it's about three minutes long, um, but I think that that typifies what I'm aiming for, and the subject matter was big enough, in, in this case, the epic career and life of Ali, that kind of typifies what I try to do if I'm given the right subject and enough time to do justice to it. Right. It, time is so critical, as you said, because what I mean, I usually had 20 seconds of pop on Sunday Night Football. So that really limited what I could say. And uh, obviously, it, when you're trying to get deep into a subject and a, a couple of times you did go into some areas that people maybe would have said to you, hey, hey Bob, could you just stick to sports? Mm -hmm. And And first of all, for all of those that say to me or to Bob or to anybody stick to sports, I'll just say, no, I'm going to do whatever I want. But yeah. if you look at your overall, I mean, the, the hundreds and hundreds of pieces that you wrote, and then we get to 2012 and halftime of the Eagles Dallas game. And it was the week that there was a murder suicide committed by then Kansas city chief, mm -hmm. uh, Javon Belcher. And it was it was such a shocking story, and yeah. it was really the right story for you to address. But the reaction, you know, the right went, oh, he's attacking the Second Amendment. And the left went, gun control, yay. What do you remember about the immediate reaction to that? Well, it was a whirlwind, and the angriest voices are always louder than the more appreciative voices. So the angry voices were uh, the right wing and the NRA types, but... I, as we've discussed privately, that's one of the great regrets of my career, not because of the blowback, but because I booted it, um, not because I took on the subject, but because I took too much for granted. But before I get to that, yeah. let me just stipulate this. People are entitled to their own opinion. But as Daniel Patrick Moynihan many years ago famously said, you're not entitled to your own facts. Right. Although in the present atmosphere, you actually are. 
Anything <laughs> be true is true, no matter how scant the evidence is. Anything you don't want to be true is not true, even if there's a mountain of evidence and a choir of angels attesting to it. If you don't want it to be true, you can go to some bubble that will affirm what you want to be true and dismiss yeah. what you don't want to be true. But right. this is an objective mathematical fact. It is not a matter of opinion. As you said, there were well over a hundred of those halftime things. Many of them were just promos for what's coming up next week. And some <laughs> yeah. of them were, hey, did you see what happened? The crazy ending of this game or that game or something amusing or an appreciation of someone who passed away, that kind of thing. Of all of them, two, exactly two, the gun thing and the thing about the Redskins team name could even in someone's wildest imagination be characterized as political. Now, I get it if someone objects to the content of any of those things, but the idea he always used that platform to push his politics is yeah. objectively false. It and is. if you looked over the course of my career, all the games, all the, the pregame things, the setup pieces, the dramatic stuff on the NBA, on NBC, or the baseball games, it would be a tiny fraction of 1% that ever intersected with, with politics. And but I think this lines up... This lines up with what you were saying about facts and having your own facts. People decided That's that right. this is who Bob Costas was. He was this politically injected yeah. politics into everything he did, which is insane right. to me. So, uh, but people wanted right. to believe that. Yeah, and I and I see that from time to time, Michelle. Where uh, it's always advisable if you want to maintain your sanity, and this is sideline sanity, uh, not is. to pay too much attention attention to comments. But sometimes yeah. you take a look at them, and what you often see is I used to love Bob Costas, but then he made everything <laughs> political. So the hell with him. Yeah. Well, yeah. first of all, you know, if you didn't like Jane Fonda on a tank, okay, during <laughs> Vietnam War, that doesn't mean she didn't win those Academy Awards and that she's a bad actress. And if right. on the other side, you didn't like Bob Hope waving the flag, you can't say that those movies with Dorothy Lamar and Bing Crosby weren't good. They were fabulous good. films, okay. you know, so, so there's, so there's that, but right. You know, I think a lot of times once something is repeated, that's what people think. They may have been confusing seeing me on CNN or even a, a program like this with the games themselves. I've done play-by-play -play of baseball for a very long time. Um, it's the game. There's, yeah. I would never do it. It's First of all, it's not the right thing to do. Secondly, it's ineffective because you can't get that stuff in parenthetically. Right. And if it was during the Olympics or something – it wasn't like when Michael Phelps was about to jump in the pool or Simone Biles or Usain Bolt were about to do their thing. Not once, not ever. But right. if anyone thinks that there aren't times when politics have intersected with the Olympics, they must be living on another planet. I, Sometimes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, Munich 72. I mean, it, we yeah. could go on and on about that kind of stuff. And that belongs in Olympic coverage. But like you said, it's not as though you'd, you know, and Michael Phelps just won the gold, but he should have thought about, you know, it's, it was never like no, that. Never, never. never. And so we're going to circle back. I'm not avoiding yeah. it. Yeah, I know. To the gun thing, but I'm just trying to create um, the context here, especially at the Olympics. A lot of the things that I thought deserve to be highlighted ought to resonate with centrists and conservatives. In 1996, when the Chinese came in in Atlanta, yeah. I said, here are the Chinese, economy growing rapidly. Everyone wants in on that economy, but there are many concerns. 
human rights concerns, the threat to Taiwan. They want to host an Olympics. At that point, they hadn't been granted uh, the Beijing Olympics, but it's very problematic because of concerns about uh, their human rights record. This is in 1996. And if there is any nation that could replicate the old Soviet Union and Eastern Bloc sports machine for all that implies, okay, you're looking at that nation. This was so problematic in the minds of uh, the Chinese Communist Party. The Internet was in its early days. They demanded that either I be fired or that I issue an abject public apology in prime time, neither of which happened. Um, when, when I mentioned when the Saudi Arabia came in at a subsequent Olympics, the IOC is hoping for something close to 50-50 parity, men and women. But it's worth noting, therefore, there is no woman in this delegation, not an athlete, not an official, no woman in this delegation. When the IOC would not acknowledge the 40th anniversary of the slaughtering of the Israeli athletes by Palestinian terrorists, I mentioned that on the opening ceremony. Is that a left-wing position? Not even a right-wing position. It's a common-sense position, just like what I said about China was. Every time I interviewed in the last three uh, Olympics that I did, uh, either Jacques Rogo or Thomas Bach, the heads of the IOC, one of my questions was, what is this with the IOC's affinity for authoritarian regimes? The way I put it in Sochi um, to Thomas Bach is, are you uh, comfortable with the Olympic flag flying and the Olympic torch burning over Vladimir Putin's Russia? Uh, Is that a a left-wing position? You know, so I think what I've done by and large, and even my more conservative friends, you included, who really know me, who've had these conversations over dinner, you know that I'm not some wacky left-wing guy. If I was, I wouldn't back away from it. I won't back away from anything I've truly said or I truly believe. So I'm not trying to like do damage control because maybe your audience will include a larger proportion of people who lean right than lean left. I stand by anything I really have said and really believe. But a a fair read of that would say, you know, I'm kind of a, a classic left of center person who grew up in the 1970s when that meant supporting civil rights, supporting gay rights, supporting women's rights, thinking we should get our, get the hell out of Vietnam, being more open-minded and compassionate, and believing in that kind of politics. It didn't mean the woke world now, which challenges common sense on a daily basis. It doesn't mean extreme identity politics, right. which take the individual out of it. It doesn't mean cancel culture. It doesn't mean some of the craziness that not only do I not sign on to, but I oppose. That's who I really am. Um, and I would never, I, I would never abuse, I'm there to present, by and large, through the years at NBC, there to present big sports events. Again, anyone who knows me knows that I revel in the drama of that, the excitement of that, the shared experience. I, I'm pretty sentimental about a lot of it. I'm not, you are a bit of a romantic, yes. Yeah, there's, you know, there, there's a romantic element, but then there's also a journalistic element. Yes. There's a serious element, and then there's the guy who did all the stuff on Letterman and Conan and Saturday Night Live. I think right. sometimes people want to put you in a tiny little box, and you can't be a, a wide variety of things. All right, so now that's, 
now I framed the whole thing. Now you back have, to- and and before we get back to this, Javon, uh, uh, Belcher, why yeah. am I missing? Thank Javon you, Belcher. Belcher. What, what you did in '96 with the questions of, with the statements about China in the opening ceremony. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about those now. Those are the same damn concerns we have at this moment about China, no and but. that's neither left nor right. That's just factual. That's just yep. it is what it is. So that's it's and remarkable way, to hear you talk about. By the way, that. where it where it uh, connects to sports, and I've said this on HBO and elsewhere. Uh, it's kind of an uncomfortable position, isn't it, for some socially conscious American athletes who speak huh. out repeatedly about the ills of their own admittedly imperfect country. But then, because they're in bed financially, uh, the NBA is deeply in bed in China. Then they're conspicuously mum. I'm not downplaying the injustices, both historic and present, in the United States. But especially at present, whatever is wrong with our country pales alongside a country which, as a matter of policy, commits genocide yeah. and and has a whole array of human rights violations. It pales along Putin's, alongside Putin's Russia, and it pales alongside present-day China and China for a, a very long time. Now, if you can't acknowledge those things, I think that certainly lessens your credibility when yeah. you talk about some injustice uh, that we find that we find here at home. Totally agree, and I want to circle. I, I can't believe I'm going to say circle back. I wanted to ban that phrase. Uh, I just said it too. So uh, yeah, so. I know. Okay, uh, we the- we will come around to that topic again because uh, I want to ask you about the way I feel about LeBron James, and we will. Okay, mm-hmm. so Javon Belcher. So this is the regret that you have. You call it yeah. The the is it the it's, biggest it- regret? It's way up there. It's way okay. up there. You know, you're, and, gonna, you're gonna even even if you're a pretty good fielder, you're gonna boot some now and then. And of I, course. So here's what uh, happened. Yeah. Okay. The the murder suicide takes place on Saturday. Uh, everybody has touched upon it, uh, both in a news context like Sports Center or whatever, and then all the pregame shows throughout the day, as you know better than anyone. Sunday night was the end. Our broadcast on Sunday night was the end of the NFL weekend. And the entire halftime, before I came on, had been given over. Uh, they didn't do highlights at all. They, they had a bunch of sound. Brady Quinn was then the quarterback, I think, of the Chiefs, and he was very poignant in his comments. Uh, it was all devoted to that. Usually, whatever I would have done, I would have written as soon as the, the pregame show was over. I would have written it during the first quarter or something. Um, and I wasn't even sure they wanted me to comment. And then they told me, yeah, we want you to do something. But I only had like 90 seconds. Oh. And I had, I had an idea that I'd been carrying around for a long time because there are a number of sports cliches that just annoy me because they're so mindless. One of which is when something tragic happens, that really puts it all in perspective. <laughs> That's BS. We know that. The perspective is yeah. going to last until after the next commercial yeah. or maybe until the next game. And then we'll begin obsessing over who the Falcons will take in the fourth round of the draft. All right. So I wanted to take a shot at that. And so that was my preamble. Uh, Whenever something like this happens, you know, that really puts it all in perspective. You know, let's get real. If you really want some perspective, maybe we should concentrate on this. And one of our producers, I'm not going to throw him under the bus because it's all on me. In the end, I'm the goalie. Someone can suggest anything, but I've got to sign off on it. So it's my responsibility. 
showed me something which Jason Whitlock, ironically now a hero of the rather extreme right, uh, but Jason Whitlock, a longtime Kansas City sports writer with whom I had been friendly, wrote a long thing about this, and part of it was not about gun control, but about what he perceived to be a gun culture in sports. And that is real. You know, if you were to say, if you were to Google athletes and guns, and then scroll the number of criminality, folly, tragedy uh, on one side of the screen, and then in the name of balance, here's all the times that an athlete with a gun turned a bad situation around for the better. The one would be very long and the other would be very short. And that has nothing to do with support of the Second Amendment or not. It has to do with attitudes. Think of the things that were out there in the relatively recent past. Gilbert Arenas pulling a gun in the Wizards locker room on a teammate. Ray Carruth with a murder for hire. Tank Johnson with an artillery in his house that could arm a small country. Um, Subsequent to that, Greg Hardy with the assault weapons, and he's beating up his girlfriend and throws her on a bed with assault weapons. What does this have to do with someone using, having a gun for a responsible, legitimate, lawful reason? It has nothing to do with it. So to me, that was self-evident, talking about a gun culture. That was my mistake. I should have realized that, that even going there, and, and I quoted what Jason Whitlock had written yeah. about uh, a gun culture and how it never leads to anything good, that that would immediately trigger, no pun intended, uh, a reaction from the NRA types and from people who don't want to perhaps deal in nuance or give anybody the benefit of the doubt. Oh, he wants to take our guns away. He wants to abrogate the Second Amendment. There's still places where I'm called the gun grabber, Bob Costas. You know how many guns have been grabbed even when Obama was president? Zero. They proliferated. Does anybody, all these constitutional scholars, do any of them know what it takes to overturn a a, a constitutional amendment and how impossible it would be, just as a practical matter, how impossible it would be? And I do not support that. When I read a story of a single mother who has a gun and someone's breaking into her house and she blows their head off because she's protecting her kids. Not only do I not have a problem with that, I applaud that. I applaud it, okay? Someone someone passes a background check and and shows that they're a responsible human being and and they want a concealed carry permit, I'm okay with that as well, Mm -hmm. right? But what I did was I assumed, and, and maybe I should have gotten outside my own little bubble, although I do think I really don't live in a bubble. I'm more open-minded than most people. I've always read the New York Times on the one hand and the Wall Street Journal on the other. And my YouTube feed must be close to unique because I get stuff from Fox News, I get stuff from MSNBC and everything in between because I clicked <laughs> on all of it. I want to see yeah. what people what people are saying. But I took too much for granted in that moment that what I was saying would be clear to everybody, and it wasn't. But also, I missed a better opportunity. That story was tangentially about a gun culture, but it was primarily about domestic violence. And I had a platform that you could sometimes use for good, and I missed the chance to do it because domestic violence is not a left-right issue. It's an important issue. And I could have said that, and I I could have done it right off the top of my head, and I should have, if we really want some perspective, We ought to think about a number of issues, think seriously about them, not just tonight, but going forward, including 
domestic violence and are those who play a violent and belligerent sport in a macho culture more inclined toward that particular offense than their athletic peers? What about the effects of football itself, damage to the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. and diminished uh, quality of judgment? What about if it's mixed with alcohol and performance-enhancing drugs or whatever it might be? And then also if there was time, the whole attitude that too many people have toward guns, not talking here about anyone's legitimate, lawful, responsible exercise of their Second Amendment rights, but talking about an irresponsible attitude toward guns, which permeates too much of the athletic world. Now, that part would have gotten some blowback from Wayne LaPierre, no matter what, because right. that, that they always go from from A to Z and from zero to 102 seconds on that, because even addressing that subject means that, as they once put it, jackbooted thugs will come to your house and take all your guns away, and then little old ladies will be at the mercy of, of criminals. Um, okay, so, but the domestic violence was the most important part. So what I regret more than the fact that, that I caught a lot of heat and that there are some people who still think that I'm some sort of extreme left winger on this, I wish that hadn't happened. But what I really regret most was that I missed the opportunity to make a legitimate, important point in front of a very large audience about domestic violence. I screwed that part up. And before I finish with this topic, when did you it come to your mind that, damn it, it would have been better for me to have gone there than where I went? By later that night when we later were off that the night. Um, and I was on the on the plane. NBC usually had a, a charter back. At, were we in Dallas that night? Yeah. We might not have left because yeah. it was Dallas. It's such a long flight. We might not have left um, until the next morning. Um, so, you know, certainly by that night back in the hotel or the next morning on the plane, it's like, you dumbass. <laughs> you oh. really missed that. You know, it's rare to hear Bob Costas call himself a dumbass because he's anything but. But I do understand the, the regret. I understand that, you know, second guessing. There's one more we're going to get into before we change topics. Sure. But first, a quick break. More with Bob Costas in a moment. You know, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted. But gold has been on the rise. Gas prices are insane. The stock market is extremely volatile. Inflation is worse than it was last year. And now we have a war with Russia and Ukraine that could spread to the rest of the world. The markets do not like instability. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold per for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and against the weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver, you need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there is still time. Remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others lost their retirement. Now, Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all your options for investing in gold and silver. You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866 528 1903. 866 528-1903 or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, Bob Costas, another one was October of 2013. Yeah. Now, people have been talking about the name of the Washington Redskins, that nickname, for decades. 
think they moved from Boston as the Boston Braves to Washington in 1933. I think that's the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, The president then, Barack Obama, had mentioned, you know, maybe we want to think about changing this name. It was a hot topic. And we had Cowboys at Washington. And so Mm -hmm. your halftime essay uh, was about the name, the Redskins, which you called a slur and an insult, maybe in the Mm -hmm. other order. What do you what was the initial response to that essay? Well, first of all, um, Sam Flood, uh, our executive producer, had asked me earlier in the week, like on Wednesday or Thursday, want you to address this at halftime. Didn't tell me what to say, what position to take. Just right. think you should it's topical and you should address this subject. And I would encourage people who either are not familiar with it or who need to recalibrate where they really should be coming from on this. Just Google it. It's two minutes long. I went out of my way to start out by saying this is not about political correctness run amok, which I don't approve of. Um, I'm not accusing anyone in the present day of racism or any intentional slight, but Redskins is distinct from Braves, Chiefs, or Warriors, or other such names that might be associated with Native Americans, where... As long as the symbols and rituals are properly respectful, it could be viewed, you could debate it, but it could be viewed as an honorific. But you can't look at Redskins that way, regardless of the present day intent. Get a dictionary. Every dictionary, and I consulted five before I did this, every one, derogatory, uh, a slur, an insult, pejorative, every one. And then I said, think about what the equivalent would be if applied to any other ethnic group. What's the equivalent of redskins? Not chief, brave, war. What's the equivalent of redskins when applied to any group you you want to name? So I said, and it was very, very measured, all the stipulations. This wasn't like some wild, crazy thing coming from no, some it never wolves. was. Yeah, you know, so it's like the, when you consider it that way, um, isn't, it, isn't it possible to see how we might want to readjust how we look at this. I never thought that that was the most important issue facing Native Americans. I'm sure if you said to the the average Native American who's concerned about what's going on on a reservation someplace with with poverty and and lack of quality education in too many cases, they would say, you can name every team the Redskins. If you could could ameliorate these problems, I'll take that trade-off. But that wasn't what I was asked to address. But to many... Once the gun thing was out there and, and I had been made a straw man, then this was just more evidence of that. And then a year after that, we're in Sochi and NBC has a profile of Vladimir Putin, which I tried to toughen. Usually I'd write my own stuff. But as you may remember, on the first day of the Olympics, I was I, I wake up and I got pink eye. What the hell am I? No one <laughs> Again, I just, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. If you submitted it as a script, how could this possibly happen? You're supposed to get pink eye when you're six, not when you're yeah. 60. And it's not supposed to happen exactly. And its duration is like two, two and a half weeks. Exactly the duration of the Olympics. Not supposed to come on the first day of the Olympics. So I was a little bit, um, they had to take me to the infirmary and they got looking at guys looking at it. Is it viral? Is it bacterial? What the hell is it? Okay, so I didn't have the usual input that I would have. But the, the piece was soft on Putin, but I tried to toughen it. But there were some passages that were, that were softer on him than I would have liked. It didn't matter to some people who are looking for outrage. It didn't matter that I'd come on the air and said there's a question as to whether or not these Olympics should even be held here. 
and I rattled off a few of the objectionable aspects of Putin's Russia. It didn't matter that I asked the questions that I mentioned before of Thomas Bach. It didn't matter that later in the Olympics, uh, I did a pretty scathing commentary about uh, Putin being able to, uh, to burnish his reputation with his countrymen and profit from these Olympics and how uncomfortable that made me. Um, USA Today called it the toughest commentary ever delivered by an Olympic host. That wouldn't have served the purpose. So once I did the gun thing, once I did the very measured thing about the Redskins, now it's here. So it's, oh, uh, pink eye for the pinko. Uh, He's he's sympathetic to Putin. I had said, as a matter of fact, which was important, that Forbes magazine, Forbes, Michelle, not Mother Jones or The Nation or MSNBC, had named Putin the most influential world leader, dropping Obama to number two on their annual list. That doesn't mean, by the way, that you're applauding the person. You know, some of the worst despots in history have been influential, regrettably. But so that was a a pertinent fact. But they portrayed it as if I was a cheerleader for him. And what I did subsequently, um, as soon as I got back, I went on with Bill O'Reilly on Fox. Uh, Both he and Bernie Goldberg can't be accused of being extreme left wingers, but they know me. So it's like, no, this isn't where he's coming from. This isn't what he said. This isn't where he's coming from. But that didn't matter to those who just want to rabble rouse because by that time, and if you live in that bubble, and if you have those impulses, by that time, the die had been cast. That was who I was. And no matter what I did before that or subsequently, I couldn't do much to change people's minds. Well, this is what is driving me nuts. We keep talking about these bubbles and -hmm. these people who sit back and look for outrage. And we know they're there. Now, I know to a certain extent this has gone on throughout world history. Like, you know, we look for our enemies, we find them, we attack. Is there an end to this? Because like you articulated earlier, if you want to find your own facts, you'll find them. And you'll present them as facts when they're they're not. They're opinions. Mm -hmm. These are perfect examples. Is there an end to this? Or is this something that we as human beings as rational, we hope, mind, rationally minded yeah. people are just going to have to sift through for the rest of our lives. Because the problem is now, Bob, people are losing faith in institutions like the press, the media, mm-hmm. because they do this shit. Excuse me. They do yes. it. Sorry to my daughter who is very offended by when I cuss. Um, but, you know, it, what do we do with this? Uh, my fear here is that this is different from other eras. We've always had hysterical stuff. There's a yellow press historically. We know that. But now the technology is such and the profit motive is such that there is an incentive, if not to lie, then to only feed your audience what that audience wants. So... Fox News is not going to focus on right-wing craziness, absurdities. They're going to focus on left-wing absurdities, and the left hands them plenty of material on a daily basis of just wacky stuff that's an assault on common sense and what used to be shared values. But they're not going to turn that lens over this way. Oh, look look what's happening over here. Uh, So it isn't just falsehoods although there are falsehoods, a lot of it is just selective truths, often exaggerated. So it isn't that it's untrue 
Okay, it's yeah, this this is true as far as it goes. We're going to take it out of proportion and context, and we're not going to show you the other truths that would paint a more complete picture. And it, it, it isn't just on the right. It happens on the left as well. Yeah. But what also happens is this. People are telling you, the media, the media, don't trust the media, except trust me. Okay? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Right. So, so now you've been told, and Trump, I mean, when I say this, if you criticize Trump or you criticize Fox News, that is not a criticism of conservatism or what used to be Republicanism. Uh, but Trump put this on steroids when he called everything fake news. So yeah. that ties into what we're talking about before. Anything you don't want to hear qualifies as fake news. So how many people say, I never watch CNN because I know they always lie? Well, how do you know you never watch it? Well, although I'll push back on this, when a CNN reporter was standing in downtown Minneapolis, just miles from where I live, saying it's all peaceful here, and he's standing in front of a burning building, that, 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 go ahead, you know, that, that was ridiculous, Bob. Ridiculous. Not, not only dumb and, and not journalistic, but like hands, hands anyone on the right, like there's your, there's your meme. It's, yeah. it's right. It's right there. So yeah. CNN, uh, and by the way, you know, I'm a contributor at CNN, which doesn't yeah. mean that I sign on to everything they do or of say course. because yeah. of my longtime relationship with Jeff Zucker, who now is no longer there. But Jeff's first job out of Harvard was he was my researcher at the 88 Olympics in Seoul. It worked for me and Brian Gumble. We've been friends for a long time. And when I left NBC, he said, would you like to be a contributor? And that means I'm not sitting in the production meetings. That means right. later later tonight after we, we finish this, Don Lemon wants to talk to me about some baseball issue. So I go okay. on and talk to him about the baseball issue. So I'm not here to, uh, as a representative of CNN, but CNN has blind spots. It, it has flaws. But I have seen, to be as honest as I can, I have seen more criticism and more people who are critical of Joe Biden in the first year, year and a half of his presidency than I saw of Trump in five years from Fox, mm-hmm. because that that is Rupert Murdoch's intention. That is Fox's brand. I've said this before. When Fox came into existence, I think it was in 1996, not only would it have been okay, it would have been a really, really good thing if they were an honest, journalistically responsible alternative to the mainstream media. Because the mainstream media, I don't think is thoroughly corrupt. I don't buy that narrative. But they do have, they did have certain, by and large, Bernie Goldberg wrote a book called Bias, like 25 years ago. Uh, Award-winning journalist, was at CBS for a very long time, then at HBO, did really, really, really good work. And, And he pointed out some of the, some of the tropes and, and predicates that, that were out there by and large in network news that were never questioned. And that not out of, out of malice or dishonesty, but just because they weren't questioning their basic premises often right. enough, that became a kind of baked into the, into the cake bias. Uh, I've recommended Bernie's book. It goes back a while now. We've recommended that to people. It was a legitimate critique. Now, if, if Fox News's answer to that problem was we're kind of the Wall Street Journal or the National Review of the Air. Not boring. You know, you got to, it's television. You got to spice it up. Yeah. You got to have some personality. Yeah. You got to have some people that move the needle. But 
not this outrage, anger, and resentment machine that demonizes everyone with who you disagree. If they had done that, that would have been a great service to the country, yeah. but they didn't. I think it. I think it depends on the hour of the day that you watch. Oh, yeah. There are some so, very yeah. good journalists there. There's no, no question. Sure. No question. Uh, so, what do you think then? How it? Let's assume Elon Musk and this Twitter deal goes mm-hmm. through, right? What kind of impact do you think that'll have on all of this, on this whole notion of, look, we're not going to censor size. Americans are smart enough to figure out for themselves what they're going to believe, what they want to agree with, what they don't. Which ties into another, you know, feckless mistake by Democrats or the left. We're going to have a bureau of disinformation. Oh, dear God. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Right. Does this this resonate like as, as Orwellian? Yeah, or, will. Or, 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 or something, the kind of tribunals you see in, in authoritarian societies. Oh, my God. It was terrifying. In, that wasn't their intent. Right. Um, it's just, yeah, poor, but, poor But to decision. go back to, you, I, you know, I went off on a bit of a tangent as I want to do. But, you are. Um, but uh, the reason I'm so concerned is that the incentive to, to either misinform or skew things or worse yet, to appeal to people's worst instincts not to their ideals, but to their outrage, their biases, their their fears. That is a business model. It's just a business model. Um, you know, if you're if you're Newsmax, which makes Fox look like the Christian Science Monitor, right. if you're Newsmax, you're not going to tell people that that even if you like Donald Trump and like the policies, he did not win the election. It was not stolen. In fact, there was a lawsuit. And, and the way they had part of the lawsuit was they had to disavow that they'd said that for so long. And they did it with a voiceover, not done by one of their anchors or reporters, just somebody that you could, you know, that you could hire to do uh, attention Walmart shoppers. Right. Uh, and that, that's how that's how they did it. Um, what's the reason for that? This is their audience. Their audience wants that. Their audience wants to see this. Uh, there are certain uncomfortable truths for the left. That MSNBC, by and large, I can't say never because I'm not monitoring them 24-7, but MSNBC, by and large, <clears throat> is not going to hit those notes, at least not too often, because it isn't what their audience wants. But a responsible news organization should try, imperfectly because we're all human, but should try to present as the, the pertinent facts and the thoughtful, honest opinions of commentators labeled as such from every direction, left, right, and center, so that you have a fuller picture and you can reach your own conclusions from that picture. But Fox News and, and, and Newsmax and whatnot, they're not an answer to that. They're not a corrective to the problem. They're part of the problem, by and large, by and large, with exceptions. All no, right. There are any exceptions. So does there, Elon Musk help, help this problem? I, you know, I don't know enough, as you know. Does uh, Elon Musk help? As you know. Twitter, yeah. Instagram, Facebook, I, I'll, I've never been there, never will be there. Yeah. I don't really know what the deal is. Um, so I, I'm not, I don't, I don't have the, the, any kind of insight on that. But we do know that there are, there are already studies about this, academic studies, that stuff, the, the clickbait that is the most outrageous or the most extreme gets more, that people yeah. tend to go where anger takes them rather than something that's that's pleasing or idealistic or more reasonable and measured. Uh, if the clickbait says nuanced take on Michelle Tafoya's first, <laughs> that's going to get much less 
clicks than I hate Michelle Tafoya and here's why. <laughs> even even if every word of it is complete drivel, yeah. you know? So yeah. that that is so, social media to the extent I understand it and Twitter. Yeah, it it's democratizes, yes, but there's no filters. There's no guardrails at all. And if in a world where people increasingly are going to their devices rather than buying a newspaper. Which um, they are. Right. Then, then, and then they're selecting their own truth. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, well, I, I saw this somewhere. Where was that somewhere? It was Facebook, your, your dumbest friend's Facebook post. Right. Right. Left, left or right. And, you know, I haven't heard anyone mention this, but I think it's important. All the, the established legacy newspapers have had to take at least part of their product online. They have to. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, what matters is the credibility of it. You know, as long the technology that I like to hold a paper in my hand with a cup of coffee in the morning is just generational. Um, but what a lot of people are, have been saying, I'm sure, is this: Wait a minute. If I have to pay X amount to get the St. Louis Post Dispatch or the Chicago Tribune, I'm not going to do that. Forget about it. You and I yeah. will do that. You and I'll do that. We travel yeah. and everything. We got all. I probably have ten newspapers on 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 my iPad. <clears throat> but so increasingly, <clears throat> the influence of that is diminishing. The the three network newscasts, which are more or less down the middle, their influence is waning. They used to have primacy. Mm -hmm. uh, if you yeah. if you didn't like the New York Times, you could read um, you could read the Washington uh, not the Washington Post, more or less the same editorially, <clears throat> the Chicago Tribune or the Wall right. Street Journal. But right. they were all credible. I don't read something in the Wall Street Journal and go, even if I disagree with it. That's not credible. Right. But if something's on your Facebook page, if so, you saw something on Twitter, one of the, I think one of the most important things that we could do, and I know I'm taking advantage of the platform here and just going on and on, and I, I apologize. One of, the most, one of the most important things that we could do educationally is teach media literacy. And that does not mean go over here, because these, these are the people I agree with, or go over there. It doesn't mean that. It means teaching young people how to navigate everything that's out there so that the information they're receiving, not the conclusion they should reach, but the information they're receiving comes from credible people with honest intentions. When you think about it, things that we had to learn as a, in, in high school, I had to take shop class. Listen, if, yeah. if, if I get a flat tire, Michelle, I'm more likely to, to, to like not only what I call AAA, because I might if I if I took the jack out of the trunk, the the, the, the car would fall on my head. I can't. What, what good did it do me yeah. to be in shop class? You well, know? it should have done something. But apparently, in your case, it didn't take. It, but no, it, it, it didn't. It didn't. But my point is that media literacy is something that would benefit everybody. No matter here's what the pushback. The yeah, but here's the pushback, Bob, that you're going to get. And it's even coming from within me right now as I have kids who are in junior high and high school. Huh? Who's who's going to teach it? Who is going to teach it that is middle of the road thinking about the kids without an agenda? That's another institution. And we won't get off on this tangent, but that is another institution that people are very wary of right now yes. is the education system. Even these quote unquote academic studies about this and that and the other we all know there are statistics, there's lies, there's truth, and there's statistics, whatever that phrase is. And lies, I should have learned it because I took that in college. But I think it's Mark the point, Twain, but I'm not sure. 
Thank you. I think I knew you'd have it. I think it is Twain and his book is right here behind me. And I should have known that. But the point is, is that statistically any study from whatever academic institution can be designed to t- give you a oh, certain sure, message. Yeah. And um, so, and that's what's happening. And I think too, that when people start thinking, oh yeah, let's teach me- media literacy in high school, they're going to go, or in college, they're going to go, oh, who's going to be teaching it? And who's, who decides when you are media literate? It's, it's gotten, uh, it's, I'm very depressed as a parent about uh, the way that the education system is going. I want to get back to something because we started this all with, people pigeonholing you based on, mm-hmm. you know, you, you were turned into a political commentator <laughs> after one thing. Yeah. I have a similar feeling now about LeBron James, whom I started covering when he was a rookie, when I was still covering the NBA. And I thought, what a kid, smart, good looking, intelligent, funny, charismatic, polite, it treated every person in the press with respect and my husband and I were marveling that through the first many years of his career, never got into trouble. I think the one thing he did is he wore a Yankees cap to a Cincinnati game or something like that. And if that's your trouble, you're doing pretty yeah. good. But then when the question got posed to him about Nike and the things you and I are just talking about, about China and the Uyghurs and the people you know, being com- the genocide being committed, the slavery, et cetera. And it all came after more the the GM of the Houston Rockets, who was subsequently fired, Daryl Morley, Morey said, uh, I'm terrible. Thank you. Said, you know, he stands with the people of Hong Kong and LeBron said he's not educated. Yeah. Uh, That for me, I, I have a hard time appreciating LeBron James now is this, this is on me, I think, because I I just thought, are are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But because as you said, he, he's so tied and so in bed with Nike and Nike, as we know, is linked to China a million times over. Am I ever going to be able to get LeBron out of that bubble that I've now put him in? Is this on me? Is Should I just well, sit back and appreciate the guy for the way he plays ball? I, I try to look at situations and people in totality. Um, and what you said at the beginning, I agree with. I think, by and large, LeBron James is an admirable man. He came out of a tough circumstance, single mother. Um, he's led an exemplary life. He's a good husband and father. He's used his wealth uh, and his position to do very good works. His promise school in Akron is one of the best uses of an athlete's fame and fortune that you could ever imagine. I think he's a a decent person with decent impulses, but you can get caught up in things. What Daryl Morey wasn't educated about was the following. Hey, we don't say anything about China. (laughs) That that was the education he needed. Yeah. Yeah. So I think sometimes, and also here's the difference between LeBron James and athletes of previous generations. They're all on Twitter. What's the upside? You know, your every random thought, you're going to say stuff that's ill-considered. And he said some things that are ill-considered. Do I think that his concern over injustice and racism in the United States is sincere and often well-focused? Yes. Do I think he's made some sweeping, generalized statements that don't align with facts and context? Yes, I do. Uh, So, Do I have disdain for LeBron James? No. On balance, I have admiration and respect for him. But 
Has he sometimes uh, been been less than insightful to be kind? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's fair, and that's what I expected. Um, I know we are running short on time with you. Uh, that's because you I used it all up. <laughs> you know, and used it well. Before we go, mm-hmm. you mentioned wokeism. And, you know, I think back in the days when I was a little toddler, my parents called them hippies. My parents both went to Berkeley. I, I attended Berkeley, as you know, Cal right. Berkeley. And we certainly had our share of hippies. But mm-hmm. these days, it's gone to a point where we are obliterating other human beings for their beliefs, for their opinions. Uh, we are saying that the history of our country was abysmal, that there's nothing good about America. We we could go through countless examples. Is this a blip, Bob? Uh, uh, you know, you go along the history of a country and you, you run into these blips. Or is this something that, you know, it, it, it's so ensconced, embedded in the university curriculum or even high school curriculum that this is this is where we're going? I sure hope that it can be corrected. Uh, I don't think that wokeism, or however you want to describe it, is just different by degree from liberalism. It isn't just further to the left on the spectrum from classic liberalism. It's at odds with classic liberalism. Yeah, it is. The kind of censorious, there's only one truth, it's a, it's a, it's a received truth and, and brooks no disagreement, even if it's a partial disagreement. That is as illiberal an idea as you could possibly encounter. Uh, and the closed-mindedness where, and Bill Maher has talked about this a lot, where 18, 19-year-old kids think that they've gotten the, all the truth they need. Mm-hmm. And anyone who doesn't see it as they do not only is wrong, but, but there's something wrong with them. They deserve censure. If not, if not literal censure, then they, they deserve a slap on the wrist. They deserve disdain. I don't need to listen to anything they have to say. Um, as Bill Maher has said, when your position could be a, a headline in The Onion, which is a satirical magazine, if your position resembles an Onion headline, maybe you better reconsider your position. And a lot of what comes out of what we'll call for the purposes of your question, wokeism, isn't just mistaken. It's effing ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's the note to leave on. Effing ridiculous. That should be the headline for today's show. I, th- I think it probably will be. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure someone will. Yeah. Effing ridiculous. But I agree with you. And, you know, it's so interesting before we go. I just want to tell our audience that Bob and I have had a really fun relationship. It's not a long. We've known each other about, what, 10 years, I think. About maybe a little years. longer. And we've had, we've sparred over politics. I, I am so glad you came on and I've learned so much about you just in the last couple of weeks. And I am so glad people are able to see this part of you that expands upon the oh, narrow you. picture of you that they have, because you, you, you are a classic liberal. You're mm-hmm. not, uh, you're not anything but, and, and you're, as even-keeled and open-minded and commonsensical as they come. And those are the people I want to celebrate. Uh, we Thank need more you. of you. We need more Thank of you. Thank you for having me on. You know, one of the problems now, after we've done what we've done, 
If someone has the patience, and in a short attention span world, do they have the patience to watch a nearly hour-long exchange, you know what inevitably will happen. There'll be nuggets of this. No matter how reasonable and nuanced we have been or attempted to be, there'll be nuggets of this taken out of context, different headlines, used for their own purposes, yeah. you know, um, characterized however they wish to characterize it. And this goes back to media literacy. Uh, you, it doesn't make a difference you're conservative, liberal, or anywhere in between. If you're able to discern what that is and just sweep it away, no reason I should consider that. If I really want to know what Michelle and Bob said, I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah. I'm going to have to see it in context. But if you're taking it from from just what you saw on, on a tweet or somebody's Facebook page, you know, that's, that's like a, an old kindergarten game of telephone. Or by yes. the time you get to the fourth or fifth kid, the original premise is, is out the window. Yep. I ha- my, my glimmer of hope came from an audience member of The View who was watching on television and found me online and said, hello, my name is, I'm 28, I'm gay, I live in Philadelphia, and I voted Democrat my whole life. I watched you on The View, and I love you. And I was stunned, oh. Bob, and it made me think, okay. This is how you eat an elephant, as my brother would say, one little <laughs> nibble at a time. And uh, so I'm grateful. You, you know, I, I, I know we've hit. I know we've hit some points where we should have ended, and maybe I should know when the curtain comes <laughs> down. But another part of the problem isn't just the profit motive um, with with outrage. Too much of our politics depends on that. Yeah. Uh, too much no depends question. on outrage and demonization, and this is what these people are doing to you, and these people over here. So. Part of it would be if you had someone who truly had the ability to unify, which doesn't mean that everything is right down the middle, that everything splits the difference between left and right. Sometimes you're going to land on one side or the other. But I don't I don't mean this to be insulting. But, you know, Biden has deficiencies, uh, whatever he he can't he, he can't deliver that in an effective, dynamic way. Right. Whether you liked Obama or not, he could do that. You know, others could do that. Yeah. Um, and Trump is not inclined to do it. And those who are Trump light are not inclined to do it because they're playing to a certain base. So where is the person, the dynamic, charismatic, likable person, good on his or her feet, um, who can who can express nuanced thoughts that say, wait a minute, folks, folks, let's see if we can coalesce not to agree on every issue, but to agree on our basic unifying principles. Where's someone yeah. to articulate where, that? As where's I think that person? Or- I think Orwell once said, it is, we've reached the point where it is now the duty of intelligent men, because then when people said men, right. it's now, now the duty of intelligent people to restate the obvious, to restate <laughs> first principles. Let's do that, everybody. First principles. And what was the other thing? F and ridiculous? F and ridiculous. <laughs> there we go. Bob Costas, thank you so, so much. Welcome, Michelle. Appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Thank you. See tomorrow, ya. tomorrow, Lisa Kennedy Montgomery, known as Kennedy, the former MTV VJ, now Fox Business News anchor, will join us. Thanks, everyone. Cable news, noisy, boring. 
out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.